Well, we're going to read uh, Romans 15, 14 all the way to the end of the book. So strap on your seat belts and uh, we've got a long way to go. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the cot of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at King Crea, that you may welcome her and the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Well, every year uh, I have a medical checkup, and the doctor examines me, questions me, and runs some tests, and the older I get, the more tests they run, and the tests that they're running get more uncomfortable the older you get. But it's necessary to have these checkups. Uh, all of us should do this so we can stay in good health. Uh, we can get checked out and and pointed in the right direction if we need to make make some changes. I don't always like what the doctors tell me, and they often repeat themselves year after year. Eat more salads. Don't eat so many hamburgers, etc. I don't necessarily want to hear that. Well, the passage before us today is the opportunity for us to have a church checkup. Uh, in this passage before us that we've just read, Paul extends personal greetings and instructions to the church there in Rome, and it reveals some things about the church that are great reminders to us of what the church should be. This providentially leads us into our new focus for the year. We've finished Romans, and now I want us to, to turn our attention to church revitalization, and it's a great way to start off here in Romans, the latter part of Romans, with a checkup. We can see where are we, how do we stack up with this church, this strong church at Rome. And, and hopefully going forward, Lord willing, we're going to talk about uh, how we can be a more vital church. How, how can we be healthier? How, how can we increase our church's health? Well, I have picked out eight characteristics of a healthy church found here in this passage. I'm sure there are more there, but uh, I've, I've gotten eight from it. Don't panic because the good thing is today we have our luncheon and you know I'm not going to run over because I love to eat. Um, but eight short points that you've probably heard before, but as we will see, we need to be reminded of these things time and again. How do we as a church and as individuals compare to the church at Rome? Well, first of all, we see here that the church presses on to maturity. The church presses on to maturity. Paul begins this section uh, saying, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Well, the church in Rome there, he describes first off 
as being full of goodness. This speaks to their their character. They were good people. Now what makes a sinful person good? I mean, we're not, as human beings, naturally good. We're naturally quite selfish. No one has to teach us to be selfish. We're born that way. But the Roman church, these Christians here in Rome, had been transformed. They had been changed. And they were being changed by God through the gospel. We see here, if you look down at the end, he kind of begins and ends at the same place in this section. He says there in verse 25 of chapter 16, To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. How did these Roman believers grow in goodness? How did they become stronger in faith? It was through the gospel, the preaching of Christ. Uh, As they learned and grew and became filled with all knowledge, as it says there in verse 14, and even able to instruct one another, they were growing and becoming transformed into the image of Christ, becoming more like Christ. Look at verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 26. The very last phrase, he says that the prophetic writings have been made known and, and they uh, are bringing about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. See, they, they believed, they heard the gospel, they heard the truth about Christ and they believed it and it was bringing about a change. They were, they were living in light of that truth and it was causing them to be good filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another. They were full of the knowledge of the gospel, and they were able to apply it to their lives. And there was evidence, this obedience of faith. They believed God's word and put it into practice, and they encouraged one another in this. Well, the question before us is, do you spend time in the word each day? If you're discouraged in your Christian life or, and you're not spending time in God's Word, it's no wonder that you're struggling and discouraged. You know, if we don't have a proper physical diet, you'll not be healthy. You remember that show, Super Size Me, where the guy just lived on McDonald's for a while and you know, he felt awful because he was not eating healthy, good food. Well, the same is true spiritually. If you're not being fed with the Word, you will not be healthy spiritually. Daily Bible reading and meditation upon that reading, weekly worship where the Word is faithfully preached, weekly uh, small group Bible studies for encouragement, these, these things are all necessary for good spiritual growth and health. We need a steady diet of God's Word. And that's what the church in Rome was marked with. They were... They were vigilant to press on in their Christian life, pressing on to maturity, growing. Well, secondly, the church continues to be reminded. This sounds like a strange thing, but Paul says there in verse 15, On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. How important it is to be reminded of the things of God, to have them repeatedly put before us. I heard some of the children had complained in Sunday school uh, about, oh, we've, we've heard this story before. And uh, someone was relating this to me, and I said, well, you know, yeah, they've heard it before, and they're going to hear it again and again and again for the rest of their lives until they get it banged into their heads. You know, of course, when we teach it, we're, we're uh, trying to help them understand it in a deeper way, and as they grow and mature, they're able to do so. 
but we are constantly being reminded of the same things. When you come to church, if, I'm, if I get up here and I'm telling you something that you've never heard before and you've been in church all your life, then I'm probably saying something really wrong. You know, you need to hear the same old, old story as the, 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 the old hymn puts it. Tell me the old, old story. We need to hear it time and again so that we can be changed by it, so that we can take that truth and apply it in different ways in our lives. Uh, as a preacher, I love and I'm encouraged by what Peter says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and following. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. You see, Peter says, I'm going to pound these things into your head over and over again so that you will always remember them even when I'm no longer here on earth to be telling you these things. It's no problem for me to keep reminding you of these things. But we need to put ourselves in a position to be reminded of the things of God. Are you putting yourself in that position to, to hear God's word preached and proclaimed and taught? Are we as a church doing that? Are we reminding people of the things of God? This is our primary purpose as a church, to proclaim Christ. That's what it's all about. We proclaim that old, old story again and again. Of course, we're going to talk about how we apply it and all those things, but we're, we're sticking with the gospel over and over and over again. And we should never grow weary of hearing about that. Are we uh, considering, as Hebrews writes, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, how we can consider, uh, how to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are we coming to church, not neglecting to meet together, but being an encouragement to one another? and especially as we see the day drawing near. So we need to be continuously reminded that's what the church does. That's what we need. Now thirdly, the church is interested in evangelism. Maybe that word is a little weak there, interested in. I mean, that's what we, uh, you know, part of our mission is to proclaim Christ to the world. And we have here Paul talking about him in 15, 17 and following about his particular ministry. Paul was an evangelist. He was called by God. He had a special calling on his life. He was, first of all, an apostle, which sets him apart from everybody else in the world except the other 12 disciples. But he was particularly set apart to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his job that he was given by God. And he's talking about this work, sharing it with the Romans. He wants to encourage them and explain why he has not been able to visit Rome because he has been busy telling people who have never heard the gospel. He's been, he's been out there proclaiming it. And now he wants to go to Spain and preach it there. And Rome is on the way, and he's going to stop in for a visit as he travels to take the, the word of God to the Gentiles far and wide. So he, he planned to visit them. Well, some people are called to be evangelists, like Paul and others. And they spend the bulk of their time, maybe they are employed in evangelism. You see Paul there in verse 20 uh, says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. 
That's, that's what he was all about, was preaching the gospel. That was all of his life. Now, all of us are not called to be professional evangelists. But all Christians are called to be witnesses to Christ. We are, as Peter writes in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, we are called to be able to tell people about Christ, to be witnesses wherever we are, to, to show people Christ. We're all called, maybe we're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses and to share Christ with others. And, and we ought to be interested in that in our own lives and in the lives of others, to be interested in the work of evangelists who are professional evangelists and to support that. Paul does it, he says, through word and deed, verse 18. And we are to have an interest in reaching the lost by word and deed. Now, our presbytery, our presbytery is our, the region we're in, south Mississippi, uh, almost to Jackson, everything below that, all the PCA churches, we're, we all meet together quarterly, and, of course, it's part of our church government. Well, the, the Presbytery has been working on and, uh, a church, planting a church along the Gulf Coast. We've had it on our radar, and I'm the chairman of that committee that oversees that effort for the Presbytery, and David uh, is one of the members of that committee. Well, things are, are moving in that regard. Uh, we have just this past week uh, gotten a yes from a church planter who is interested in coming to the Gulf Coast. Now there is got, there's some interviews and, uh, and examinations that have to happen, but if everything goes according to plan, we're going to be, the Presbytery is going to be planting a church on the Gulf Coast uh, come this summer. They'll probably move here in July, and by the fall we'll be engaged in church planting work. So we are going to have uh, a part to play in that. We are going to be uh, supporting the church planter, Lord willing, if, he, uh, if it all works out. And we are going to be involved in seeing this new church plant uh, begin. Now there's lots of planning that has to be done. And, uh, and I know that some people are going, well, why, since we have so many empty uh, seats in this church, why are we worried about planting another church? And there's so many churches around, why do we need to plant other churches? Well, the short answer is the best way to reach unchurched or post-churched people is through church planting. Uh, that has been proven time again. And the best way to revitalize churches that are struggling is for them to get involved in church planting and seeing how someone who is a church planter reaches out in the community. We can learn a lot from a church planter about how to connect with people. And it will be an encouragement to us to see it happen, to be involved in it happening, and as well to learn about how it can happen. So we'll have an interest in this, and it'll be an encouragement to us, and it will help us grow as a church. So I'm looking forward to that. So, yes, we should have an interest in evangelism as individuals, but as a church as well, we are going to be doing that. And that's, I hope to encourage you with that. And you'll be hearing more about it as it comes nearer. Well, fourthly, the church is generous to the needy. Uh, you hear there verse 25 and following, where Paul has been, and if we read uh, 
If you read throughout Paul's letters, from time to time he mentions this offering that he's taking up. 2 Corinthians 8, for example. Paul's gathering up money for believers in Jerusalem. They had experienced a famine. There was probably some persecution going on. And they were in need. They were poor. And it's an example of Christians bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. These Gentile believers wanted to support the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. They owed a lot to the Jewish believers. It was through the Jews that Christ came to the world. And it was Jewish disciples who first preached the gospel to the Gentiles, Peter and Paul. Well, we have opportunities in the church to help those who are in need. We've got this baby bottle drive for the Women's Resource Center. We have various food drives throughout the year. We've made disaster relief buckets for, for those uh, who have experienced tornadoes and hurricanes. Each Christmas we take up a ministerial relief fund for widows of pastors. And, and we've got many other opportunities. And sometimes these things are kind of in the background and we don't realize uh, or think much about it. But that's what we're, we're trying to help those who are in need. Are you participating in that? Helping those who are in need. The church does that. And a healthy church has a concern for the poor. Well, fifthly, the church prays for missions. Paul asked them in verse 29 and following. He says, uh, I, w- I want you uh, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul was a missionary. He took several missionary journeys, and he asked for prayer for the immediate things that he was doing. He also mentions there in chapter 16, verse 1, about Phoebe. Phoebe uh, was a servant in the church, and she was a patron of others and Paul, a patron. She helped support Paul. So she was probably a wealthy lady uh, and she she had some resources and she helped support Paul in his missionary work. And of course we do the same. We pray for our missionaries regularly. Every Sunday night we pray for our our missionaries and of course we support missionaries. We have, you can see the list uh, on the bulletin on church websites of the missionaries that uh, we, we, we support. And it's important for a church to do that, to have a vision beyond the walls of, uh, of this church, uh, beyond uh, the borders of Biloxi and the Gulf Coast, to the world. Now many of you know that I planted a church in England and uh, was there for about seven years. And when, uh, when I planted that church, one of the first things that I was encouraged to do by my mentor was to get involved in missions, to start supporting missions. And we did that. I mean, right at the very beginning, we were hardly a church ourselves, and we began supporting, uh, oddly enough, a Brazilian church planter who was working in Romania. And we were able to go over there and help them in in this work. So we had an English church planted by an American pastor, and we were supporting a Brazilian church planter in Romania who was reaching out to the gypsies, the Romani people, who were, who were like completely neglected in Europe. And the government doesn't even know uh, how many of them there are because none of them have birth certificates. They're so poor. And because they don't have birth certificates, the kids can't go to school. 
And it was a wonderful thing for our small little church plant to go and help uh, this pastor, this Brazilian pastor. Some of you saw my Facebook post this past week. I preached there. So I, I preached through a translator who was, she was Brazilian, one of the pastor's daughters. So she was taking my English, translating it into Portuguese, and then from Portuguese into Romanian. So I don't know what I said. And I don't know that it made much sense to the people sitting there. But what a joy it was to be involved in that work, even as a small church plant. And we, this church, of course, has been supporting missions for a long time and, and very much involved in missions. I, want us to, I just want us to be reminded of that, that, that we have an obligation to, to share the gospel, to, to help people share the gospel throughout the world. And we're doing that. And may we do it all the more. Well, sixthly, the, the church has a diversity of people and gifts. We see here in chapter 16, we've got this long list of greetings. Almost 30 people are mentioned by name here at the end of the letter. And we see there a diversity uh, of people uh, along different lines. We see a diversity of race. There's Jewish people in the church, of course, Aquila, Priscilla. Paul's relatives are mentioned in verse 7 and verse 11. And then, of course, you've got Gentile Christians who were there in the church in Rome. And uh, secondly, you see a diversity in class. Uh, some of the names were probably uh, royal or high rank. Uh, Aristobulus, Narcissus, verses 10 and 11. Both of these are seen to have been the head of a household, the head of an estate. So they had an important job in the community. And then, of course, gender. Eight or, eight or nine out of the 26 persons named are women. And Paul singles out many of them as having worked hard. You think about Phoebe there, the first one mentioned. She was probably delivering this letter to, uh, to Rome. She, she was, uh, Paul probably had placed it in her hands to take it and deliver it for, for him. And so the women and the men, both very active in the church, had an important part to play, an ongoing uh, work in the ministry and mission of the church. Well, seventhly, not only was this church vigilant and all the gifts being used in it, but this church was vigilant. Paul encourages them to vigilance in in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And he says there in verse 19, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So they needed to be on the lookout for false teaching. Uh, they needed to be diligent in their own lives to be able to recognize what is good and what is bad uh, to be, to be uh, aware of what is good and innocent and what is evil as well. So discerning and on the lookout for false teaching. We need to be, as believers and as the church, uh, guardians of the truth. We are here to preach Christ and to preach him faithfully and to uphold the truth of Scripture. And a healthy church does that. And when a church abandons the Scriptures, it's no longer a church. Now finally, the church is hopeful, and I just base that on this one verse. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, verse 20. Now I believe he's referring back to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is known by theologians as the proto-euangelion, or in English, the first gospel. This is the first place where we are pointed 
to the fact that a redeemer is going to come into this world and destroy the works of evil. In the word uh, where God places the curse upon the serpent who caused Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, mankind to fall, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Of course, Christ was bruised. His heel was bruised. He was crucified. Evil people put him to death. And he was bruised, but he was not destroyed. He rose again. But Satan will be crushed. His head will be crushed. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's our hope. That, that one day God will, Christ will return and he will make all things right. And his crucifixion, as I said last week, uh, delivered us from the guilt of sin. It delivered us from the power of sin. And when Christ returns, he's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. The new heavens and new earth, there will be no sin, nor any of the consequences of sin. And that day is coming ever closer, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's the, the hope we have as a church. And that's the message that we bear to the world, that we have a Redeemer who is going to put away evil and sin. And he has already started that work in us. Are you participating in that work? Have you enjoyed it yourself? Or are you experiencing the forgiveness of Christ? Are you experiencing freedom from the power of sin? And are you looking forward to that day when you will be free from the very presence of sin? May God help us to be a, a healthy church. Of course, these are just some of the marks of the church, some of the characteristics that we can have as a church. And I hope by way of reminder that it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord and encouraged us as a church. And we'll be exploring that here in the coming weeks. How can we be a, a healthier church, a more vital church? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example that we have in Scripture of those who have gone before us who have been faithful to you. We know they're not perfect, but we thank you, Lord, for their example. And we thank you that... We can study this and look at it and be encouraged by it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a healthy church. And as individuals, Lord, we pray that we would, we would be healthy Christians. Lord, we pray that you would stir us up to love you, to listen to you and your word, to have a relationship with you in prayer and worship, to, to encourage one another and to be the kind of church and church people that you have called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.